It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. Say goodnight to this one. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. Light it up on a Friday, Friday edition of Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital. On the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of today's presentation. I am Jeff Howe. Get over to Horns 24-7, horns247.com. Get that Longhorn Blitz podcast. Search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Just put it all together. You click that follow button, get every episode of The Blitz whenever it drops on Tuesdays. Hopefully you enjoyed the uh, over-the-air presentation here on the Horn last night, uh, right after Longhorn Weekly with Rodney Terry. And we will hear from Rodney Terry coming up here in just a few moments. Craig Way is out today. Craig is on his way to Fullerton. He's going to call the baseball game tonight. He's going to fly back, call the basketball game tomorrow at the Moody Center between Texas and Kansas, then drive down to San Antonio and call some high school girls state basketball championships. So, uh, it's Craig's busy time of the year, so we are just going to try to keep the hands at 10-2, and two, not wreck this thing, not get too off the rails, but uh, we like to do some of that when Craig's out. Who is us? We? Who is we? It's not the royal we. It actually is uh, two of us, two-thirds of Light the Tower here today. Behind the glass is our esteemed producer, the play-by-play prodigy, Cameron Parker. Cameron, I had to apologize because we got some audio coming up for our Longhorn Notebook. Uh, oh, no. And... No, I needed to apologize because uh, I got it to you so late. I'm like, that's more stuff on Cameron's plate that doesn't need to be there, but I appreciate you, sir. Jeff, I was already in the studio cutting up audio from Rodney Terry's final Longhorn Weekly of the season, so it's all good. But uh, I am alarmed about Why something, are you al- What are you alarmed about? Did you see the Pittsburgh defensive lineman who ran a 40 time of 4.67? Really? That should be that's that's almost illegal. That at, should be, at what weight are we talking about? Two hundred and eighty-one pounds. Oof. Four. Boom. The second fastest forty-yard dash time behind Aaron Donald, who's probably one of the most impressive specimens in what human history. Yeah. Four point six seven. I I can't run four point six. This I, says since two thousand. Since two thousand. Okay. Uh, let's see. Now the player Four, six, is seven. Elijah can't. Oh. Okay, well it just says since two thousand. So yeah, it, 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 Aaron Donald has. I don't know why they had to say since two thousand. Because defensive linemen ran forty yard dashes before the year two thousand. We talked about this actually. Weird. We were talking about combine stuff on Longhorn Blitz this week, and I, I it just completely slipped my mind. You can play six degrees of Rod Babers with a lot of people in the NFL. I, I totally forgot that Rod had played with Dan Big Daddy Wilkinson in Detroit. Rod had to remind us of that. Dan Wilkinson was one of the first guys that like broke the combine, right? What was he six four? I looked this up the other day. Six four. He had like, almost thirty four inch arms, three hundred and fifteen pounds, and he ran a four seven five. And that was the one that was like, oh my gosh, like, dude, that's wild. Like a dude that big shouldn't be able to move that fast. Tommy Harris, I remember, ran a, a ridiculous forty time too for a three hundred pound guy. But yeah, four four six seven at two hundred eighty one pounds. That's gonna get you. That's gonna get you on the radar, and some good results too from the other Longhorns in the draft combine. I'm sure you have it coming up. But Demo, Snacks, Ojimo, yeah, both had some nice showings. I think yesterday. Yeah, we're gonna get to that. Uh, so our Longhorn notebook actually coming up at the bottom of this hour. We're gonna visit with my colleague and Hornets 24/7 Mike Roach, our uh, recruiting editor. Uh, very short visit with Mike last week, but we'll get the full the full deal of it this week. A full heaping helping of Mike Roach and his recruiting thoughts. Uh, as Texas gets ready for a pretty big visit weekend at the end of the month. We'll get Mike's thoughts on the class of uh, 2024 and how things are unfolding this spring. Plus, he's been on the road a lot, seen a lot of prospects in the Metroplex, so always good to catch up with Mike and get an idea of what he is uh, 
who he's seeing and, and what's catching his eye as he's going around visiting high schools. But, uh, yeah, Cam, you got any of those numbers in front of you, actually, uh, with the uh, the Longhorns in a combine where you run some of those down? So I believe DeMarvin Overshown, he ran a, a 4.57, mm-hmm. which is which isn't too bad, I think, for, for his – for his size, nah, right? if you're sub four six, I think you're you're okay. And for Keandre Coburn, it looks like he ran a five oh four forty yard dash. That's not bad. What did Snacks weigh in? It was three three twenty five, I think. That's moving. I mean, yeah. he, he's straight up moving. I believe Ojimo came in under sub five. I can find it real quick, but like I said, pretty pretty good numbers, I think, for the Longhorn guys coming in. Actually, I'm sorry, Ojimo five oh four forty yard dash. Five point zero four for Morrow, and I'll get you Coburn's term time here in just a second. Yeah, five oh four. I'm I'm listening. Five two two for Coburn. So Ojimo right at that five second mark. Morrow also a nine four on the broad jump. That was one of the best among the defensive linemen yesterday. In terms of looking at defensive linemen, how how big is how big is speed? Because you saw what Nolan Smith is They're- a linebacker. Nolan Smith ran a faster forty time than most receivers and running backs. Yesterday. I think I think the forty is more important for edge guys, maybe, uh, but I, especially for interior guys, and this applies to edge guys too. More often than not, you're going to look at that ten yard split. Like, what are they running in the first ten yards? Man, that's where if you go watch that forty by Nolan Smith, that's where he really excites you as a prospect. That's why we had him number one in the country at twenty four seven Sports in the twenty nineteen class. The ball get off like his first ten yards. It is you hear the expression, but it really it looked like he was shot out of a cannon in that first ten yards. Yeah, like it's almost like he's he's not getting up and running until he's about ten yards into the thing. Like it's just it was amazing that start that he had. So yeah, you're pretty much looking at the first ten yards. Uh, Moro Ojimo, yeah, um, I mentioned nine four on the broad jump to Marvin Overshone went four five six. Uh, in the 40. I'm just looking at the notable performances for, uh, and that's Edge Guys. Texas doesn't have uh, any Edge Guys in this deal, but those were the notable performances by the defensive linemen and the linebackers yesterday. So, you know, I, I think DeMarvin Overshone, I don't know that he did anything to really hurt his stock. Uh, you know, I think he's probably a solid, solid day two guy at this point, I would think. Um, yeah, Moro Ojimo I think helped himself yesterday, and Col- you know Coburn didn't have a Coburn didn't have a bad day either. As long as, as long as there's no workouts like, and I love this guy, but with all due respect to him, as long as there's no workouts like Lil Jordan Humphrey's pro day, were you there for that, Cameron? Lil, I wasn't. Lil, Lil Jordan Humphrey's pro day workout. Please tell me about Just it. Just one of the more bizarre pro day workouts I've ever seen, because uh, he didn't run well at the combine. And I honestly, it, the the drills were just so puzzling. I don't think he ran. I don't think he did any testing at pro day. Which you figure, like, okay, you're on your tra- your own track. You're at your place. You can retest, redo all those bad tests. It can only help you at that point, unless I don't know. You're just getting bad advice. But he didn't do any pass catching drills. Uh, just did like tight end drills. I'm like, who is telling this guy at 190 pounds that he's going to be a tight end? Like it was just it was one of the more bizarre workouts I've ever I've ever seen, and that definitely had to hurt his draft stock because he wasn't picked up until he wasn't drafted. New Orleans, he was he was an undrafted free agent. Was there for a little bit, and now may have found a home in New England so far. But he's he's been excellent on special teams, and you know if if you want to make your way into NFL, special teams is one way, and if you can appease Belichick like he has and Brendan Schooler. Then you can make you can make a you know a pretty decent wage on special teams for a little bit. But he, his pass catching, I thought at Texas was great. His ability to extend plays and, and break tackles for his size, he just he just never went down. So, somebody just asked me on the Specs text line. By the way, Specs text line is open three three seven three seven seven six. What was my forty time back when I uh, played ball in high school? I don't know. They didn't have a sundial to time me, so I never got an accurate reading <laughs> on my forty yard dash. Uh, I'm just looking at the uh, okay. So this is interesting. The combine's got uh, some next gen stats. It's just looking at overall grades. Uh, Keandre Coburn was one of the top finishers here among the defensive linemen. One, two, three, four, five, six. Basically, the seventh best defensive lineman at the combine. Uh, Moro Ojimo is also in that group. So eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteenth for Moro Ojimo on this list. You, you can go to NFL.com and, and break that down uh, and. Uh, Oh wait, that's 
That's not that's their grade. That's their draft grade. I apologize for that. I'm trying to why won't it just give me the results that I want? I don't know. Anyway, um, we'll get to the combine here in just a second. I'll unscrew this mess that is NFL.com with everything they've got going on here. I thought I had this organized and it's not organizing for me. Uh, Texas and Kansas obviously is the big one tomorrow. Two thirty pregame here on the horn, uh, three o'clock tip. With Craig and Eddie on the call, you can hear that on the Horn and across the Austin Radio Network. As Cameron said last night, the last edition of Longhorn Weekly with Rodney Terry. What are, what are we going to hear, Cam, in this cut? Is this just RT talking about the KU game specifically? Yeah, RT uh, on Kansas. All right, yeah. Texas, we know, lost the first meeting with Kansas, uh, an 88-80 decision at Allen Fieldhouse last month. It is the return bout. Texas has lost back-to-back games for the first time this season, trying to avoid a three-game losing streak going into the Big 12 tournament. They would have loved to win the home finale. This is Rodney Terry talking about a matchup with, at this point, the outright Big 12 Conference regular season champion, Kansas Jayhawks. It's time for the rematch with the Kansas Jayhawks. Let me, uh, I'm going to beat you the punch on this because I know how you're going to feel about this. Let me dispel any notion anybody might have that because Kansas has now clinched the Big 12 regular season title, that they're going to come in and just sleepwalk through the game. I can't see a Bill Self coach team doing that on Saturday. No, I mean, we're both all, we're still both building a resume right now. They're, they're trying to play for a number one seed. We're still playing for seeding as well, trying to get a two seed uh, and, uh, as well. So uh, it's a great matchup for both of us, and we're both playing for a lot on the line. In, in the first game, they got out to the big lead. Your team made a run, came all the way back, caught them. I mean, it was a heck of a game, and eventually pulled away in the in the waning moments of the ball game. What do you take away from that first matchup? Well, the, early in the ball game, we didn't do a great job of taking care of the basketball, and we let those guys get off to a good run and start. Uh, we settled down a little bit, and you know, kind of let you know got into a groove of the game, and we were able to bring it all the way back, and we tied the game and had a chance to go ahead. Um, you, know, they, you know, this game's going to really get down to transition defense, you know, get down to our pick-and-roll coverage uh, with these guys as well because Harris was a major factor in the game. Um, you know, Dick played really well in the game as well, shot the ball extremely well. Their supporting cast played extremely well. We did a really good job on Wilson, and Wilson's a terrific player, but the supporting cast was the, were the ones who really got it done for him. That brings up an interesting point here, because last night your team holds Mike Miles to one point, one point in the game. And that, like you said, you did a great job on Jalen Wilson. How difficult is, is it to be able to place that much emphasis or even as the game develops, have it develop like that, where you're taking their number one guy either out of the game or rendering him largely ineffective and yet try to make make it so that the support cast doesn't beat them. Well, Ball had a great game last yep. night. One of their lead guards had a great game last night. It's okay to possibly have maybe one of those guys kind of emerge a little bit, but, you know, for us in the game last night, Miles was obviously the head of the snake, and we needed to do a good job on Miller. Miller hurt us in game one. He had 21 points. And then last night, again, he had 20 points again last night. So you can have a ball and you might withstand, you know, another guy emerging. Uh, but, but to have two of the guys or one of the two guys, you know, get something done in a big way, that, that becomes troublesome. For How important is it? Because there, you've talked about there have been some games, whether it was by turnovers or what happened on the defensive end where the opponent got off to a big start and you were having to climb uphill a little bit. How important is it? for that not to happen this time around, for it to stand toe-to-toe with them early on, if not get a big jump and, and jump out on them early. Well, we've gotten better, I think, over the, since the last time we played those guys in that area. I think, uh, you know, for a better part of the game, I mean, we lead the Big 12 in, you know, turnover situation, turnovers to uh, assist, and uh, we're, one of, we're one of the best teams in the league to take care of the basketball. I mean, we want 10 or less in every game, you know, but uh, I think the last game we played these guys, I think we ended up, ended up with 15. We had 10, 10 at the half and did a much better job in the second half taking care of the basketball, but... Uh, we're the best in the league right now with one good game to go in terms of taking care of the ball. Texas has taken care of the ball. Cameron, they force turnovers. Probably not maximizing possessions off of turnovers. Uh, points off turnovers haven't been bad, but they could be better. Uh, they just got to figure out how to, A, start better, and B, figure out what they can do during those scoring lulls to maybe keep like a two-and-a-half-minute drought without a field goal to becoming like a four-and-a-half, five, six-minute drought without a field goal. The off- that's the kind of stuff that's killing them right now. Yeah, I know, 100%. It feels like the offense has fallen off a little bit. And I don't know if it's because of 
Marcus Carr, the last two games against Baylor and TCU, Jeff, he's been held below his season average for points per game, which is 16. I think he had 10 against TCU and 11 against Baylor. I mean, he's your he's your, he's the guy. He's the guy on this team. He's also hasn't been shooting the ball well. I believe 30% and under from the floor those two games. So when, when Carr's struggling, who has to step up? Well, it's got to be Timmy Allen or Tyrese Hunter. Hunter played, you know, he shot the ball pretty well against TCU, not great against Baylor. He was the guy from Iowa State. Chris Beard went out and got him because of what he did in March and what he yeah. could bring to this team. And it was supposed to, you know, help, you know, lessen all the stuff on Marcus Carr's shoulders, you know, takes him off his plate. And we haven't really seen that for most parts of the season. He, You know, he's had injuries. Maybe he's just not comfortable with Marcus Carr. And then Timmy Allen, did he play against TCU, Jeff? Because I don't remember <laughs> even seeing him out there. You know, we, we t- I talked about that with Chad and Zay yesterday. And, and I like Dylan Mitchell. Everybody loves his upside. Dylan Mitchell's one of those guys that I, I don't know what he's giving you right now. It's like he's not giving you really anything. Not getting rebounds, that's for sure. Um, And, you know, I think one of the things you might have to look at at this point, and I know the rotation is what it is and guys are getting the minutes they're getting, if I'm Rodney Terry, I might just have to live with the one or two just jaw-dropping mistakes Arterio Morris might make while he's on the floor. Because every every time it comes out, like any time I'm, I'm blogging a game, whether I'm watching it from home or I'm covering it from the arena, it's like, I'm at the I'm at all the home games and I watch the road games from my chair in my office. And you know, people are like, why doesn't Arterio Morris play more? Why doesn't Arterio Morris play more? And usually about that time Arterio Morris is checking in and he's taking a bad shot or he's letting somebody blow by him on defense. There's just something and that's why he's not getting more minutes. But he's also a guy that we've seen him, you know, saw maybe West Virginia, Oklahoma. He's a guy that if he can get in a rhythm I mean, he can get you volume scoring off the bench if he's given an opportunity. So you might just have to live with the one or two boneheaded mistakes he's going to make, knowing that, hey, the upside is this guy can get you, you know, nine points in 90 seconds or something like that, just to be able to give you more offense. I agree on Tyrese Hunter, Cameron, but, you know, we've been waiting for Tyrese Hunter to put together that consistent play like he showed. Like, he had a good game against TCU. And building on that would be a consistent game against Kansas if he gives you good production tomorrow. But we've been waiting for that all year from him, and it just hasn't happened. Not I'm saying it can't happen when the calendar flips to March, but it's not something that you can bank on at this point. Uh, and, you know, the movement without the ball, though, against TCU was what bothered me the most on offense. Just guys standing around, guys not, you know, trying to work through screens. You know, there were a lot of possessions – especially in the second half when they had a chance, you know, when they, they were playing better on defense, they had a chance to really close the gap or maybe get in front of TCU. And we saw too many possessions, and some of them were off turnovers where it just turns out to be everybody just kind of standing around, Marcus Carr dribbling the ball, and, oh, man, the shot clock's running down, and then mm-hmm. he's got to force something. And as bad as you were on the glass, you're, it's, it's a one, you're, you're only getting one possession. That's really where TCU beat Texas. You look at TCU's ability on offensive rebounding. Uh, you know, even if they were taking bad shots, they were getting second, third, fourth chance points. Uh, and, and Texas is not a good enough rebounding team to be able to rely on getting second, third chances to maximize a possession. They've got to be really crisp. They've got to move without the ball. They've got to screen well, and they've got to really get in the flow of the offense to keep it from being just ISO ball where you've got Marcus Carr dribbling down the shot clock and forcing something. So, team has a lot to work on, uh, but. Their issues are fixable. It's just a matter of can they get them fixed. We saw how good this team was during that stretch, I think, middle of the Big 12 season. Remember when the first time these two teams met, Texas, Kansas, UT yeah. was number one in the Big 12, and they were ranked number five in the country. They were playing pretty good basketball. No doubt. And over the last couple couple weeks, it just seems like the shots aren't falling, right? I mean, Marcus Carr had a period where it felt like every game he was knocking down a clutch jumper or a clutch three. Those same shots aren't falling, and I know it's kind of boring to say, but you know it's a make-or-miss sport, Jeff. But I agree with you on on the still movement. There's a couple possessions where it just felt like, okay, Texas got to get a bucket, all right? Dribble, dribble, pass, top of the corner, <laughs> pass back. It's like, have you seen, have you seen that Bobon commercial yet? It's like which, a State Farm which, which commercial. One? He's doing a lot of them. Yeah, right now. he's turned into the Baker Mayfield. There's a State Farm commercial where you know it's like 
whatever their tagline is, like Boban doing play-by-play for a basketball. <laughs> and the entire commercial is Boban just going, dribble, dribble, more dribble, dribbling, dribbling, still dribbling. That's Texas basketball against down the second half of that TCU stretch where it just felt like there was no ball movement, just, just bad threes, and it's not going to win you games. I mean, sure, you might get lucky and a couple shots fall down, like the very end when Texas made that late, late run, the pull back within for three, but that's not going to get it done for 40 minutes of basketball, especially in March. No doubt. Uh, and again, it's Texas and Kansas tomorrow, 2.30 with the pregame, 3 o'clock with the tip from Moody Center. It's Craig Way and Eddie Oren on the call. Uh, you can hear it here on the horn and all across the Austin radio network. So I uh, got a text from uh, about – remember I mentioned Lil Jordan Humphrey's pro day, just how bizarre it was. I appreciate this text. It, and there's some logic here. said LJ weighed around 210, 215, not 190. Well, my bad. I looked back at his NFL.com profile from the combine. He was 210 pounds, so – my apologies for exaggerating. That he's also a guy that doesn't test well, hence the combine. Why would he do the same drills at Pro Day if he knew he wouldn't improve his times or other measurables? He did tight end drills to show his versatility to raise his stock in that way. It didn't work, but just wanted to explain the reasons why he did that. Well, you know, it ended up working out for him because, you know, he's been in the league for a while now. He made the Saints roster. He's been an active roster NFL player, so it's worked out for him. I just don't know at that point why you wouldn't try to go accentuate your strengths. And it's not about versatility at that point. I would just – because it's it's totally advantageous for you to do receiving drills at your pro day, to run a route tree at your pro day. It's your facility. You know, you, you probably know who's throwing you the football. Uh, it's set up for you to succeed at the pro day. In other words, like the combine is almost set up for you to fail – the pro day set up for you to succeed. So testing numbers aside, if I were him, I would have shown off my ability to run the route tree, my ability to high point the football. I would have done some of those things. But at the end of the day, it's worked out for him. He's been an active roster NFL player, so that is what it is. I did find, Cam, some of the testing numbers. Finally, man, gosh, NFL.com makes this stuff so tough to sort out. Uh, Moro Ojimo actually had a really good combine. He was one of the top finishers among the interior defensive linemen. Had the second best vertical jump at 33 inches. I believe he was fourth best. Yeah, fourth best on the broad jump uh, with that 9-4. I'm not seeing three cone drill times or shuttle times for he or Keandre Coburn. And again, that's the kind of stuff they can get done at the pro day. He he was third in the bench with 29 reps on the bench. Coburn did 24. So more Ojimo, and I've said this about him, he's a guy that I think it was going to really intrigue teams because of his age. you got to remember, he just turned 21 last August. So he's going to get into an NFL camp at 21 years old. But with the amount of experience he's had playing at Texas in the Big 12, a Power 5 league, he's got – tape of him playing against high-caliber opponents and being productive against high-caliber opponents. I'm not saying he's going to get drafted, but he's definitely a guy that's squarely now in that priority free agent mix at the very least. And a, a, a team should be really intrigued to get him in camp. And he's probably a guy that said, you know what, he's so young, we got no problem stashing him away on the practice squad for your especially now that practice squad sizes have expanded in the NFL. Just stash him away on a practice squad for a year. And then in 2024 – now we feel like he's ready to give us something. And, and you know, he's mature beyond his years, but the age makes him really, really intriguing and kind of makes him worth the investment if you're kind of looking at it long term. Uh, I mentioned some of Keandre Coburn's numbers. If you look at DeMarvin Overson, actually, I want to go back to the defensive, interior defensive lineman real quick. Cam, I mentioned the 10-yard split. Moro Ojimo was one of the top 10 finishers, actually. seventh. He had the seventh best 10-yard split among the defensive tackles with a one seven seven. So that was and Coburn like eleventh right there. Yeah, Coburn had a one eight two on the ten yard split. So both those guys were up there pretty high. Uh, if you look at Demarvian Overshone among the linebackers, four five nine actually four five six is what he was officially is what NFL.com showed. Kind of middle of the pack, so you know not terrible, uh, not you know elite either. It's not like he was uh, oh, Owen Popo ran four three nine. That guy. That guy's a freak. I don't know if the production at Auburn necessarily matched what the athletic tools are going to show for him, but uh, good for him for putting on a show nonetheless. Uh, Overshow one five nine on the ten yard split. Uh, didn't vertical jump. And CB asked this question. A couple of the people asked this question. You got to remember with some of these Texas guys in terms of some of the testing numbers that they might have scratched or just not gotten official times for or measurements for. They're so close to the pro day, they might just have focused on a few things for the combine thinking, all right, I'll go to pro day and I'll do my vertical or my broad jump or my bench or whatever it is 
there at the pro day. Um, Overshone went 10-4 on that broad jump, uh, you know, three-cone drill. Not a lot of linebackers, period, did the three-cone drill. Three-cone is one of those drills that you can make up and do on campus at your pro day workout. So uh, I look for those guys. But we'll we'll get more into that uh, as we go on. I think Overshone, Overshone did the bench press also, and I think did 15 reps. Yeah, 15 reps on the bench press. He's actually – I was looking at some of the uh, athletic scores, some of – you know, that the old Nike spark formula. Overson was one of the top linebacker performers at the Combine uh, based on what I've seen. There were some areas where he was kind of in the elite category in terms of when you – that's when you're combining like a guy's size, height and weight and length and then pairing that with his testing numbers, uh, and it's going to spit out various forms. Yeah, the relative athletic score was DeMarvin Overshone, and for composite speed grade, uh, he was elite with the 40-yard – his 40-time, 40 the 20-yard split – and the uh, and the ten yard split. So his composite score grade was elite. Uh, composite size grade was okay. They didn't get a composite explosion grade because he didn't do his vertical jump. A nine and a half inch hand. So it, it's at the end of the day, it was a, a pretty good uh, pretty good day for Demarvin Overshone along with Keandre Coburn and Moro Ojimo. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. Going to switch gears. Talk a little Texas football recruiting with my man Mike Roach from Horns twenty four seven. We'll do that when we come back here on Light the Tower on the Horn live local and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. dot com. Trying to get crazy with this scene. Don't you know I'm local? local? Craig Webb and Jeff Howe light the tower. Jeff Howe, Cameron Parker back here rolling along. Hour number one of Light the Tower. Craig not in today. He is in Fullerton calling that baseball game this evening. He'll be back tomorrow for the Texas-Kansas basketball game. Then he'll call some girls' state basketball. I don't think he's going back to Fullerton for the Sunday game. At least I don't think that's his plan. He might be. That would be a wicked travel schedule. I, mean, I don't he think did. he's going back, is it, Cam? I don't think. I don't, I don't recall him saying anything to me about going back. I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't put it past him either. Uh, we'll continue to talk Texas Pro Day. We'll talk about Gary Patterson stepping away from his role as special assistant to Steve Sarkeesian. We're going to hit that in hour number two, and we'll keep talking about the Texas-Kansas game. Cam's got your flex update coming up in the next uh, hour. We'll also have another Longhorn Notebook at the bottom of our number two. But right now, let's go ahead and get to our first edition of today's Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. A Longhorn Notebook brought to you, as always, by Aaron Bowersock. She is your Longhorn lender. Bowersockteam.com is where you need to go. Let Aaron and her team do the same thing for you that she did for Craig and Linda when they made the move to Georgetown, made that home loan process seamless and easy. You can have the same treatment going to Bowersockteam.com. Aaron Bowersock, she is your Longhorn lender. Joining us on the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline, as he does most Fridays when he's not taking vacation or I'm sure he's having a problem keeping his pants on today since it is NHL trade deadline day. Uh, we won't get too deep into that, but when he's not doing that, he is on the road providing the best recruiting coverage in the Texas market along with Hudson Standish at Horns 24-7. Get him on Twitter at Mike Roach 247. Also, that State of Recruiting podcast. If you're a Longhorn Blitz podcast subscriber, you already get it, but if you're not, make sure you go to just type in Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. Anywhere you get your podcasts, click that follow button to get every episode of the State of Recruiting podcast when it drops. He is the recruiting editor at Horns 24-7. He is Mike Roach. Mike, how excited are you for trade deadline day in the National Hockey League? Uh, it feels like all the trades have been done. Uh, it kind of it popped off in the last couple of weeks. I don't know if it's going to be too exciting today. The Stars made a move last night, so was was happy about that. But, yeah, I mean, uh, see what comes by the end of the day. So your pants are on right now. You're You're good. You're good for right now. They are. They're they're on. I'm getting dressed, about to leave. So yeah, I, I promised my wife I would not leave the house without pants on. That's that's always a good policy. Don't think I haven't threatened my wife with that one or two times, but that's always the best policy. Mike, I want to start with this. You've been on the road a, a lot this week, and and if you follow Mike on Twitter, you know that he's been out to various high schools. Um, just random question about North Crowley, Mike. It just seems like they're starting to. I know you know they had Samaje Burrell and and Camorian Pimpton, and, and they've had some guys, but it seems like they've got a really good group of underclassmen. Uh, and I know you used to to live like five minutes from North Crowley. Is it just population growth that North Crowley is is starting to blow up a little bit, or is it just that they're finally able to keep kids in that school that are actually supposed to be going to that school? They're not transferring elsewhere. That's a little of both, I would say. Um, I, I think 
it is important to note that, um, you know, they've done a great job keeping kids there. You know, a lot of times those kids in Fort Worth end up at places like Lido. And, uh, you know, once uh, even the last coaching staff that was there before this one started to turn that around where they were keeping their kids at home, there's also been an explosion of growth in that North Crowley area, which was pretty rural, but now it's, it's, you know, developing into a lot of housing out there. So a lot of kids, uh, a lot of families moving into that area. And, you know, they're turning into almost like a – uh, you know, they're not there yet. It, it's probably unfair to paint them this way, but they're almost turning into like a Duncanville, but for but for the Fort Worth side of the Metroplex, like a, a school that I think could really take over in that area. Mike, whether it's North Crowley or, or anywhere you've been recently, give me a couple prospects that, that really have jumped out to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, North Crowley's got a ton. I've tweeted about them. Felt like all day yesterday and a couple more this morning. Um, in fact, you know, this time of year, I it, it feels so far off, but I like meeting the really young kids that we're going to be tracking for the next couple of years. So yesterday, I met uh, a, a move-in that North Crowley had gotten from Fort Worth Eastern Hills um, that uh, that that was a freshman uh, standout for Eastern Hills and, and looks amazing, about six three, one eighty five, and Aaron Bradshaw. Uh, in the 2026 class, it's definitely one uh, to, to pencil in and, and keep an eye on his name. Uh, McKinney is loaded. I, I, I was out at McKinney the other day. They've got uh, a bunch of kids that I really like in the 2025 class, including, uh, you know, Zadian Gentry and uh, Riley Pettyjohn, a, a corner and a, and a linebacker. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's a really – I think 24 is kind of a little bit of a down year in Texas. Um, at the top, I think 25 and 26 are going to come and bounce back really strong. Okay, with piggybacking off that, Mike, how do you think that changes uh, the 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 trajectory, maybe the class size for Sark and company, or maybe is it is it a good thing that they've constructed this roster the way they have? We're maybe in a down year now. This is the year where maybe they're set up. To, to take a, a smaller classic and maybe focus more on, not that they don't focus on quality anyway, but maybe the 24 class for Texas maybe will be more about quality than quantity. Yeah, I do think it, it may be a smaller group. Um, and it's not to say there's not talent in 24. I just don't think it's as strong at the top. Um, but I think that uh, it would make sense after taking two pretty decently sized classes in the last two years. Maybe this is a year that you, uh, you know, scale back a little bit and, and and be a bit more selective at some spots. Maybe you're only taking a class of 21 or 22 or something like that. So um, that, that that would make a lot of sense to me. I think that this staff, if they can't find the talent they want in state, regardless, they're going to go out of state. I mean, they, they've just proven they can recruit there. They're, you know, they're, they're already surging, I think with some really strong out of state prospects. So, um, I, you know, I think that whether they can do it in state or out of state, they feel confident they can fill the roster either way. So Mike, I, I know that, uh, man, you're hitting, you're going right to my transitions, Mike. So this is, uh, this is good stuff. I don't know if we've got ESP today or what, but, uh, it's, it's, it's good how it's flowing right now. We know that this staff wants to recruit, can recruit, has recruited Southern California, uh, given Sark's ties there and some other guys on the staff. We know that with the, some of the guys they have on staff, they can go into SEC country and recruit the Southeast. Do you think it doesn't get talked about enough? An underrated aspect of the reach this staff has is, between you know Pete Kwiatkowski and Jeff Choate and then Kyle Flood, that they can really go into the Pacific Northwest and then go back kind of in the Northeast and really you know get into New Jersey and get a maybe I'm not saying they're ever going to load up there or make that a super priority, but they can snag an elite prospect or two from those parts of the country where maybe we've never really seen a Texas staff that can do that on a consistent basis. Yeah, you know them going in and getting guys like. Uh, Cedric Baxter last year. They've gone into areas where they haven't traditionally had a ton of success against teams that they really haven't had a ton of success against in the past and won those recruitments. So it makes me think they can kind of go anywhere and, and do a little bit of anything. I mean, I think they've kind of blown the doors off. I don't, I, I think 
if we look at it right now because of the way the recruitment played out and how long it was, I think everybody kind of looks at Arch Manning and was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But go back to before Arch Manning was really talking about Texas being a contender and try to put yourself in the mindset of considering them the front runner and contender for the schools in that in that sweepstakes. You know, I think that they've proved on a, on a number of, of – Kids that they've been able to uh, to recruit effectively, so I, I do think they can go just about anywhere in the country and figure it out. Mike, random question, and I'm sure we'll talk about this as, as it gets closer. But guys are going through the combine process right now. The guys are going through that that pre-draft process. Uh, you're kind of where I was about, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years ago where guys that you covered in high school, you covered them as recruits. Uh, maybe you went to private workouts and have kind of really seen the evolution of them in terms of their football trajectory. Uh, think of like a Christian Gonzalez, a Marvin Mims. I know you were tweeting about th- those two guys specifically this week. Uh, how cool is this for you now to really get to see the process from guys now when they're coming up to high school to where now these guys that you've covered maybe when they were freshmen or sophomores, and now they're going through the draft process? Yeah, I used to be a really big fan of the draft just because I like the draft, and now I'm a really big fan of the draft because I like watching the kids I covered and, and seeing their lives change and, and where they end up. And um, it's, it's a really cool part of my job. It's, it's probably one of my favorite parts. I, draft day has become really special for me. And it's, you know, not even the first round type of talents, but like, you know, seeing a kid that maybe, you know, I thought was, was a bit of an underdog in high school or something, went to a smaller college, get picked in the fifth or sixth round, something like that. I think it's just, it's really awesome, and it uh, you know it adds a, a real nice personal touch to what we do. Mike, let's get back to the class of 2024 for Texas real quick, and, and we'll end on this. Jarrett Gibson, uh, the number one ranked running back prospect in the country out of IMG. Steve Wiltfong has put in a crystal ball projection for Texas. Hudson Standish has put in a crystal ball projection for Texas. Where's your crystal ball on Jarrett Gibson, Mike? Yeah, I haven't put mine in yet, but I, I guess I should follow. We've been talking about Jarrett Gibson in Texas for – well, it feels like months now. I think going back to uh, back to the late fall when I was talking to sources who were like, "Hey, we're pretty confident we're going to get Jarrett Gibson. We just think, you know, Tashar Choice is not going to be denied in this in this race." And um, I'm starting to believe that when people have confidence in Tashar Choice, uh, it, it's it's well founded, especially after what he did with Cedric Baxter, where he has been with Jarrett Gibson. If you talk to Jordan Davison, the top running back in the country in 2025 out of modern day. They'll tell you that his best relationship is with the chart choice. I just think that he has become that elite national recruiter who kind of goes and gets his guys. So um, I haven't put one in yet. I probably should. Mine would be on Texas as of right now. I just think that's where the buzz has been uh, from the very beginning. And then, Mike, real quick, because for, for anybody that missed it, you were at the uh, the I-20 Coaches Clinic a couple of weeks ago. Tashar Choice was one of the featured speakers. Uh, just his ascent from, you know, when Sark made that hire, I don't want to say anybody was down on it, but it was kind of like, okay, how is this going to work out? Mike, I, it's one of the best hires he's made in anywhere he goes, whether it's a recruit's living room or speaking to a group of high school coaches. Uh, he leaves a really strong, really good impression anywhere he goes. That's, that's really surprised me just how much of an A-plus hire that's been. Yeah, I can't go back as far as like the Mac Brown staffs as far as me covering them. I will say, going back to basically from from the beginning of the Charlie Strong tenure till now, it's the best one of the best assistant hires I've seen made. I would put it up there with like probably Jeff Trailer and uh, man, and like that that's kind of you know uh, you know the the Jeff Banks maybe Kyle Floods those are those are also were great hires but this one was just it, it was good because it wasn't on an initial staff so it was something where Steve Sarkeesian had to adjust I think he found a guy that gave the staff something that, that they didn't have um, as far as kind of that young energy and that juice and he's been he's left such an impression he is so so energetic, and when you hear him speak, like I, I kind of described him as like part stand-up comedian because he's funny, but he's also like a tech revival preacher. You know, he's he he just he he commands a room, and the, I think the best thing about him is he seems. And you talk to coaches, he's very authentic about it. There's no 
uh, nothing really states to him. So, yeah, he's made a, a huge impression on just about everybody he's come across. Good stuff, as always, with my man Mike Roach. Get him on Twitter, at Mike Roach 247 that State of Recruiting Podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast, search Horns 24-7. It's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces needed. Just click that follow button. Get every episode of State of Recruiting when it drops. And you can always get his outstanding work at Horns247.com. He and Hudson Standish. Nobody better in the Texas market on the recruiting trail. And he is our recruiting editor at Horns247. He is Mike Roach. Mike, awesome stuff, man. Thank you uh, for taking a little bit of time out of your day to join us. And we'll do it again next week. No problem. Thanks, man. There he is, Mike Roach. The great Mike Roach. Uh, awesome, awesome stuff there. Talking kind of, it's what I love about having Mike as part of the show. You can go all over the board with Mike talking, uh, you know, some NFL draft stuff, out of state recruiting, uh, crystal ball projections, uh, makeup of the assistant coaches working for Steve Sarkeesian. So good stuff as always with my man Mike Roach. All right, Cameron, it is time now when we come back to go to the most flaccid state in the lower 48. Are you are you ready for flaccidity? I mean, I'm Cameron? all flaccid right now, Jeff. <laughs> That's good to know. Uh, yes, going to go grab that low hanging fruit from Florida on a Friday. We'll do that when we come back for inconceivable on Light the Tower live, local and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable, 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 inconceivable. You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Start inconceivable with a co- uh, contribution from Cameron Parker. Cam, you're astonished that people can't tell the difference between a tornado watch and a tornado warning? Yeah, I mean, it literally tells us on the Weather Channel app what it means. A watch is when conditions are favorable for tornadic activity. A warning means there is an active tornado in the area. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, were you okay last night down south? Yeah, um, I had it blow through. It was rough for about five minutes. Just a lot of wind, a lot of rain. For about five minutes, five ten yeah. minutes, and then done. Nothing after that. Well, it wasn't too bad. I think Serenata, there was clouds that were rotating and mm-hmm. out through Gerald. Yeah, I know my sister-in-law had uh, some pictures on on Facebook of they had to hunker down a little bit, mm. but they're fine. Yeah, it, it wasn't too bad. It's a good old-fashioned thunderstorm. Had to check on had to check on my wife's grandmother living out, uh, kind of Elgin, Elgin Taylor Lexington in between. That triangle that is a thriving metropolis. And they got hit hard last year. Yeah, yes. that's where the tornadoes hit hard was Elgin. Yeah, man, got to always got to always got to check on uh, the elderly close to you. Make sure they're doing okay. Hope everybody's doing okay, especially my people up north. Like Cameron was saying, Williamson County got a little bit rough last night. So, uh, but yes, pay attention. Your watches and your warnings, two totally different things. Cameron, we're going to start inconceivable with a tidbit from the XFL. Do you know XFL never stood for anything? It never was like extreme football league. It was just three letters. Big man just like like the X. Thought it looked he, cool. He, he dipped into the like the XXX part of extra of fun league. He was more into like oh, let's get cheerleaders close up shots of cheerleaders wearing very extra fornicating league. <laughs> Whatever I don't know. Vince never said Vince never said it was an acronym. It just was what it was. But the XFL version three had a uh, roster roster movement, Cameron. Uh, Quentin Dormady of the Orlando Guardians, uh, Bernie product. Okay. Uh, played at Tennessee. Quentin Dormady has been cut after he allegedly gave an opposing team plays from the Guardians playbook. The team heard about it, investigated, and released Dormady. They have also removed his stats from the XFL website. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. That's rough. I think you can still find Antonio Brown's stats on the NFL website. <laughs> Quentin Dormady's name has been scrubbed from uh, XFL history. Deleted from the point. internet. Uh, yeah, Terrell Buckley is the head coach of the Orlando Guardians, by the way. Uh, I believe if you want to go six degrees of separation again, I think I believe if Rod's listening, he's going to be mad if I get details about this wrong. So, Rod, I apologize. I want to say Rod and Terrell Buckley had a workout with the New England Patriots at one point in time, and the Patriots hmm. so- chose to sign Terrell Buckley over Rod Babers. 
Uh, but Terrell Buckley is the head coach of the Orlando Guardians. They're off to an 0-2 start, Cameron. Do you have a favorite But XFL they were sabotaged. No, I, I wish they would bring back the nicknames of the old XFL teams. Can you? How many old XFL teams can you name, Cameron? Probably zero. The, oh, what year were you born? 97. Okay, so you don't remember the original XFL. Was the Renegades one? Uh, the Renegades. Just a band I'm thinking of? Never mind. No, I don't think there was a Renegades. There was the LA Extreme. I got to pull it up. The L- I remember there was the LA Extreme, the Memphis Maniacs. Uh, Chad Hastings is right down the hall. He got, uh, Was Las Vegas the Gladiator? No, Las Vegas was the de- uh San Francisco was the Demons. Was Las Vegas the Gladiators? Las Vegas Outlaws. Uh, LA Extreme, the Orlando Rage, the San Francisco Demons. The Memphis Birmingham Maniacs, Thunderbolts. The Bur- Birmingham Thunderbolts, yes. Chicago Enforcers. That's what Chicago was. I always get Chicago and Orlando confused. Orlando Rage. Las mm-hmm. Vegas was the Outlaws. You're right about the LA Extreme. The New York, Memphis New Jersey Maniacs. Hitmen. San Francisco Demons. Yeah, San Francisco Demons. Do you remember the uh, the most famous Las Vegas outlaw of all time, Cameron? That would be one Rod Smart. That's right. And his he nickname on the jersey. Yes. He I still me. don't know who yeah. he is or why he hate Rod Smart. But there you go. Um, now, my favorite story revolving around the New York, New Jersey hitmen. It's not the contrived rivalry between Jesse the Body Ventura and Rusty Tillman. They had a guy, I believe he was the guy on their roster that, you know, you could put your nickname on the back of your jersey. And I believe it was somebody from the New, Jer- New York, New Jersey hitmen that wanted to put Teabagger on the back of his jersey. And Vince McMahon approved the nicknames and they said, hey, uh, you're really going to let that go? So there were both WWE officials and XFL people that had to explain to Vince McMahon why the nickname Teabagger was not appropriate to go on the back of a jersey. So does not surprise that's a, me. That's a nice, fun XFL story. All right, enough XFL. Got two Florida stories. We don't discriminate. So we've got Florida man and Florida woman. Florida man first. Dateline, Key West, Florida. Rest in peace, Mike Leach. A Florida man was arrested on Wednesday after deputies said that he left more than 30 mattresses and box springs along the street. What are you doing with 30 mattresses? The Monroe County Solid Waste Management uh, told the sheriff's office that the bedding weighing more than 1,700 pounds was dumped at Front Street and Fifth and Fourth Avenue. Excuse me. Detectives learned the mattresses came from a Key West hotel. Okay, now that makes a lot more sense. A manager there told deputies that he hired Michael Herrera to replace the beds at the hotel. Herrera admitted that he dumped the mattresses on Monday in hopes residents would take them and that he would return the following day to remove what was left, the sheriff's office said. However, deputies said Herrera never returned. And the mattresses were left on the street. It's amazing, Cameron, what you find. Like anybody that lives around a, an apartment complex that houses college kids, it is amazing what you will throw away that people will dig out of your trash. It's true. Like honestly, I understand his point because you put anything outside your driveway, it'll usually be gone within six hours. We, right? When I moved out of my apartment in San Marcos and moved in with my wife, we were dating at the time. If the FBI would have run a black light over that couch that we moved out of that, oh. that apartment, there's no telling what they would have found on that couch. And we're like, this thing needs to be burned and just incinerated. We put that couch out by the dumpster, came back to get some trash bags. By the time we got back out to the dumpster, that couch was gone. Like, God be with whoever took that couch home thinking they could get something out of it. It was oh. It was rough. I'm curious how many mattresses he took from the hotel and how many got picked up by somebody. Apparently, nobody picked them up. Wow. They were just there. It's a missed opportunity for some folks out there. Look, man, you can go through a lot of used stuff. Something that I'm... It's sketchy anyway, getting a used mattress. I've bought bought a secondhand mattress before. She had to make sure, like, you know, was the apartment clean? Were they smokers? Whatever. Um... Yeah, secondhand mattress from a hotel, no chance in hell I'm going down that road. <laughs> Ever. Especially a hotel in Key West. That might be worse than your mattress that you guys threw out. Oh, that couch? No, dude, that the couch. couch. That couch had had, let's just say, all kinds of unsundry bodily fluids secreted on it. It was disgusting. Uh, like it, mm. was a, it was a health hazard by the time we threw it out. I'm pretty sure that was a couch, by the way, Kim, that we had bought at Goodwill for like 15 bucks. You know when you get a discount couch at Goodwill, it, you're you're rolling the dice as it is. 
Uh, let's go to Florida Woman real quick. Uh, boy, Florida Woman, not only did she fail a drug test, but as the New York Post points Shocker. out, she would probably flunk an IQ test to a Florida woman tried to pass a court-ordered drug test Oh, with a mixture of soda and tap water that she uh, hid, quote, inside herself, end quote, in a pill bottle. Police documents show Shannon Hunter, 44, of Plant City, Florida. I want to say Plant City is in Pinellas County. Was required last week to submit a urine sample to probation officers after pleading guilty to felony drug charges in January. According to documents obtained by the smoking gun. Good to know the smoking gun is still around in publishing content in the year 2023 hunter who had admitted to charges of possessing painkillers without a prescription and theft apparently tried to dupe the officers and pass the drug test according to her arrest affidavit she was busted after she quote attempted to use a prescription pill container full of an unknown liquid to pass her urinalysis after she was arrested for failing the urine test police said she quote admitted to hiding the pill container inside of herself while many try to pass urine tests with either synthetic urine or urine from a quote-unquote clean individual, Hunter had filled the pill container with a mixture of soda and tap water, which would undoubtedly resulted in a failed sample. Hunter appeared in court on February 24th and pleaded no contest to a misdemeanor charge of urinalysis fraud. Uh, she was sentenced to a maximum 20 days in a county jail and was ordered to pay fines and court costs totaling $500. Okay, Jeff, what do we think the soda was? What soda? It's got to be Diet Coke. I'm going with Diet Coke. I'm going to say she wasn't creative enough to use cream soda. I'm going to say Sprite. Yeah. Good choice. If you're going for soda to pass your analysis, you're already... You're, yeah. Creativity points no longer apply. Because now point, you're, you're applying logic to an illogical situation. Why even take it at that point? Yeah, for real. Like, you'd be better off collecting animal urine. Seriously. For real. Actually, don't don't give any Florida man or Florida woman's ideas, Jeff. Someone's listening, <laughs> and they're like, ah, they're going to find some poor raccoon. Nobody does the Ontario Smith gimmick, the Wizenator. Nobody does that anymore. By the way, in a, if you're a member of the NFL Players Association, if you're wondering why you have to drop trowel full on to, for a urine test, you can thank Ontario Smith for that. Ontario Smith, excuse me, uh, for that. You ever heard that story, Cam? Ontario Smith, former Oregon running back with the Wizenator? I have not. Throw that in the Google machine during a break. We'll take a break. Come back. Hour number one is in the books. Hour number two coming up next here on Light the Tower. On the Horn, live, local, and digital. On the Horn app at hornfm.com.